Kings of the Podcast, episode number 113. We're getting right after it again. Coach Todd McClellan will join us in the second period, but uh, we'll get to that later. Right now, Dennis Bernstein. DB, what's up? It's heavy hitters week, John. So we got cheese, we got Todd, and then behind that at some point, I'm sure we'll get Rob Blake. But uh, glad to do another episode. Looking forward to uh, tomorrow night at Staples. All right, so uh, let's hit the studio name real quickly, and then I can't wait to hear about your travel plans, and uh, we'll tee up Todd McClellan. I also want to talk about uh, we had to submit this week our predictions to the fourth period, so we'll get into that as well. But uh, we are, as always, coming to you from beautiful Southern California and Los Angeles specifically. Today we're coming to you and recording this fine episode in the Braden McNabb studio. Now, DB, there's a nice tie-in here because, of course, Braden McNabb, a defenseman for the Vegas Golden Knights. The LA Kings will open up their 2021 Dash 22, it's a lot of numbers, 2021-22 season <laughs> uh, against Vegas at Staples Center on Thursday night. And and Braden McNabb is sort of an interesting story that has a lot of tie-ins, um, I think, to kind of what's going on right now. First of all, you're talking about a player that was drafted by the Buffalo Sabres, uh, much like Cal Peterson was, although Cal came over and signed as an unrestricted free agent coming out of college. McNabb was a defenseman that they traded for, and at the time... The quotes coming to me from people inside King's management, they did like a, a year-long study and tried to find a defenseman. And in their words, he was the best defenseman on the planet, basically, not playing in the National Hockey League. So they felt <laughs> that they were getting somebody that was ready to right. step into the NHL but hadn't yet found his footing. Played three years in Los Angeles, uh, 71, 81, and then 49 games the final season. And, of course, we've talked about it to death. We don't have to talk about it today, but that that – that decision at the Vegas expansion sure. draft or heading into the Vegas expansion draft to leave Braden McNabb exposed and, of course, to protect uh, Derek Forbert. This came just a couple Derek months Forbert, into Rob yeah. Blake's tenure as as general manager. And, and Forbert, of course, you know, was retained and McNabb was picked up. Uh, but you have to wonder. You, so, you, know, you look back at things like that, DB, and you go, what if? What if they would have left Forbert protected and how would things, I mean, unprotected, and how would things have maybe played out differently? Would Braden McNabb still be a member of the LA Kings right now? Yeah, who knows? I agree. It was a decision. And I remember those Mayor Manor stories about Braden McNabb uh, coming over from Buffalo saying that this is the next, not the next big thing, but the next guy who's going to really help the organization. So it was a, a tough call and McNabb's still over there, still playing his physical type of play and they're a still a contending team in Vegas. 
Okay, so let's move on a little bit from the Braden McNabb story. I'm sure there will be more Braden McNabb, Alec Martinez, et cetera, stories uh, that we can get into later. But, DB, we have so much to cover. It feels like the longest preseason uh, that I can remember in a long time, probably just because the last two years seem absolutely incredible. We were talking about that in the last episode, that it was only in 2020 when we went to the outdoor game in Colorado, even though it feels like 2015 at this point. Um Todd McClellan, he's our guest today. He is entering what I believe will be his third season as the manager, or, uh, the coach, I should say. Of the, I've been watching too many Dodger games. The coach of the LA Kings, right? So he's had a couple of years now. Um, the first year he was different in the sense that he had to come in and sort of get to know everybody, put his system in place. There was a lot of talk back then, Dennis, about... Uh, his verbiage, his communication, mm-hmm. so that the players used a common language. And then last year, of course, there was, you know, the pandemic-shortened year, and Todd's talked quite a bit in the past about not really liking the way that training camp went and that they only had uh, the one, it wasn't even really a preseason game, the black versus white game. So it was just a weird, weird year. Um, this is going to be, hopefully, a normal season for him, 82 games. But my question to you is this. What are you looking to see from Coach Todd McClellan this year, you know, when you think back to the first two seasons? Well, I don't think the, the first two seasons, I think Todd knew what he was signing on for. I don't think that, you know, when we talk about postseason this year, I don't think he was, it was in his mind. Look, John, he had to write the ship the first year. I mean, that the, the season before he came in, it ended really in disarray with Willie Desjardins, with uh, – uh, John Stevens being dismissed early in the season. So he really had to write the st- ship, just reestablish structure and everything. And he did that. Uh, second year, I agree. It, it's a throwaway season. I mean, look, kudos to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning last season. But I think when it comes to the Kings, it's, it's, it was a, you know, it was a way to find out what was going on. And this is the season, John, I think, you know, and I wrote, I have a new column in the fourth period. I said, this is the Todd father part three. And hopefully that's a better movie than the Godfather part three. And this is the, and I mentioned a couple of times when I tweeted the article today, this is this is the season that things need to turn. So Todd needs to have better special teams play. Uh, got to find out a better offensive scheme. So I think with respect to scheming and special teams play, I think that's what he has to progress. And he says, look, we all have to get better. And he has to get better as well. So, But he certainly has a more talented team to do that with as we start Thursday night. Yeah, and I think the coaching staff in general, uh, they've been coming together, right? We talked mm-hmm. about this last year with Marco Sturm, where nobody really wants to say it, but from from what I've sort of gathered in reading the tea leaves is that Marco wasn't his hire, but he was willing to just kind of give it a try. Right. And the first year, you know, there was so much going on that they probably didn't have a chance to really bond and really connect uh, as Todd was trying to get his feet under him, you know, being the new head coach. But that last year... Uh, from everything that was kind of indicated to us is that he he really did find a use for Marco and that they were able to establish a rapport and a relationship and a rhythm and all those sorts of things. So now you're looking to even build upon that, um, you know, in, in, in a full 82 game season. That's something that, that those numbers 82 uh, or that number 82 is something that we've heard a lot about the players, the coaches. Yeah. Everybody keeps talking about that during training camp. 82 games, 82 games, 82 games. I'm actually wondering now if that's a little bit of a concern. Everyone's downplaying it. And they're excited about it. But I'm wondering if it's a concern to play a full 82 games at this point just because they haven't seen this club for a full 82 games Yeah, Todd ha- in a while. Well, Todd's never coached a team, this team for 82 games. He had 70, he had 56. So how much evaluation could you do? And now can you lean on? To me, it always goes back to, the, to Drew and Kopey. 
can you lean on those guys for 21 and 27 minutes every night if you're going to have a postseason push through 82 games? I don't think you can do it. I think you got to you know dial it back a little bit. But I, it, it was, John, it was so hard to evaluate everything last year because you mentioned there was no training camp. How many preseason games were there? And then you knew you were going to 56, and then you're out of the running. So the games of consequence, how much any were there? 40? It's not really fair to make an evaluation. So I think mm-hmm. this is – I agree that the 82 games, you have to – it's a matter of pace. How are you going to pace these players? What's it going to be like with morning skates and practices? Are they going to go all out? It, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how everybody, not just Todd and the Kings, reacclimate to 82 games. Yeah, I think that it's too bad that I didn't pull audio from this morning, uh, McClellan's final – uh, you know, sort of press conference meeting with the media before game day on Thursday. Uh, we're, of course, recording this on Wednesday. And, and But there were two things that I think that were talked about that tie back to what you just said there, DB. And and one is he was asked about the usage of Alex Edler and basically saying, hey, here's a guy. He's the oldest guy on the team now. How do you plan on using him? How do you plan on pacing him? We're assuming you don't plan on him playing 82 games. But, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing the question sure. so much, but uh, somewhat. But you know, how many games do you plan on splitting between him and Mata is what I, where I think kind of the question was going. And he was like, hey, look, I'll be honest with you. I really don't know Alex Edler. Like, I just met him, uh, you know, in training camp, and I don't know him throughout the season. So I'm going to have to learn. I'm going to have to gauge where his engine is at uh, come Christmas time. And then he even doubled down on it and said, hey, you know what? I'm also going to have to do the same thing with Kopitar and Dowdy and some of the other vets on the team because we haven't played 82 in a while. Right. So it's not just about the new guy. It's about all the vets. And knowing when to put your foot on the gas and when to sort of back off a little bit. So that will be something interesting to, to watch uh, because Edler is, you know, kind of fingers crossed. It, it, it's a story that's under the radar a little bit. But I think they're hoping to get a little bit of offense out of Edler, too. Don't go crazy with it. Don't put him on your fantasy team. But, you know, mm-hmm. out of the third pairing to generate a little bit more offense as much as they are expecting him to bring that veteran leadership as well. So I thought that was an interesting comment. Uh, do you have any expectations for Alex Edler sort of coming into the season, you know, knowing how he played last year compared to how yeah. he played in the previous couple of years? I would hope, John, it would be better than no goals and eight assists. I really do. I'd be going to get, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what his numbers were last yeah. year. So they, they really fill off a cliff, and maybe that's part yeah. of the reason he was available as a free agent. But I got to assume that if this is a more up-tempo team and he's going to get some more time and – Maybe some nights he graduates to the second player. Who knows? But I, I got to think it's going to be better than zero and eight. Um, if it is, then I think a lot of people will be disappointed. Yeah, he joked about that when he was on the program, and uh, we certainly appreciate Alex Edler joining us all the way from Sweden on Kings of the Podcast over the summer, and, and he joked about the, you know, wanting to get that first goal. Because I think his next goal, DB, is also goal number 100 mm-hmm. in his NHL career. So not only is he going to get – the first goal in an LA Kings uniform and kind of get that monkey off his back from last season, but also a nice milestone goal for a guy who, uh, you know, has, has not necessarily known for his offensive production over the last couple of years. Um, the other comment DB that I thought was interesting, it was about Gabe Velarde. Yep. And he used a, a a baseball analogy, which is certainly appropriate given what's going on in Los Angeles with the Dodgers right now and their push to try to get back to the World Series. But you talk about no training camp kind of being thrown into the fire and that whole thing last year and Gabe Velarde being thrown into the second C role and given those minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it never really got off uh, out of the gates the way that they had hoped for. And it's funny because we're still talking about Martin Furk and he's not even on the team. Ferk getting injured sort of seemed to derail that Velarde line and things never really got going for Gabe last year. And um, McClellan's comment was, hey, we threw him right into the World Series last year. We didn't give him a 162-game season to get ready for it. And 
It's really true if you think about it. You know, Gabe had that short stint, what, 10 or 11 games, yeah. whatever it was, at the end of the the uh, pandemic shortened season, and then comes back and he's essentially the 2C uh, and was playing big minutes last year, and, you know, the weight of the world seemed to kind of get to him. So it's exciting, though, for me, when I listen to McClellan these days talk about Gabe Velarde because he really likes what he uh, what he saw in training camp out of at a number 13. Yeah, maybe it wasn't fair, John, to say that his body of work coming into last season were 10 NHL games and expecting to him to step into a 2C role, not only from an offensive standpoint, but playing defense and, and controlling the middle of the ice. It, it wasn't fair, but that's the situation they had with respect to the talent on the team. And this season, uh, this, this preseason, I think Todd said that he's been their best player, which is a, a great thing to see. And now mm -hmm. you have Dan O there, so there's less pressure on this player. Not to saying this player can't perform under pressure, but maybe he's in the right spot to produce, John, at this point in time. Plus, he should have some talent on the wings as well. So I think he's in a lot better space uh, this season where he is right now in the lineup as opposed to last season. This and I think what you just said there, Dennis, the, the, the real key point to that is at this point in time, right? Because what you can expect of a player and what he can deliver at 18 is different than at sure. age 20. It's different at age 23. It's different at age 27 and so on. So given the body of work, the maturity, the number of games that Gabe has played coming off the back injury, et cetera, everything is about timing. Right. And it does seem like things are lining up in a much more almost perfect scenario compared to sort of where they were last year. But uh, it, it will be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But I'll tell you what, Dennis, on the other side of the break, let's bring in Coach Todd McClellan. We can ask him about Gabe Velarde. We can ask him about Edler. We can ask him about the goaltending as well and see who's going to be the uh, the number one goaltender this year. That's on the mind of a lot of people. And uh, can't wait to come back in the third period, DB, and break down all of our predictions. I think we're going to have some good stuff to argue about. Absolutely. So what do you think? Let's do it, Jay. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period, and we uh, are joined now by Coach Todd McClellan. He heads up, of course, the LA Kings, and uh, he's been on the program before, but a lot's happened since then. So, uh, Todd, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me, fellas. Well, look, uh, today I have to tell you, uh, it's going to be just me. Dennis has refused to come back on the podcast with you since you still haven't paid up on the dinner that you have owed us now for a few years. So, um, I've been I've been sitting in that restaurant every Tuesday since that day, and you guys don't show up. So uh, at some point, i got to cut my losses. Okay. Well, then it's our fault then. We'll reschedule. We'll reschedule. Um, it's been... It's been a challenging year, to say the very least, and uh, I know that at times last year you had given indications that you were you were done with the Zoom calls and all that sort of stuff, and it's been a grueling training camp. So the first thing I just want to know today is, how are you doing? And I don't mean like surface level, you know, uh, generic sound bites from a press conference. I mean like really, really, really. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'm excited uh, about... Uh, being around today and, and get the team prepared for for our first game, uh, it has been a grueling training camp uh, in in many different ways. Uh, the number of bodies we had in camp was 
bigger than normal. Um, the first four or five games that we played all happened day after day, all on the road. Uh, that was a tough thing. Um, and then coming down the stretch, just trying to run practices with uh, six lines and eight or nine defensemen is not an easy task for anybody. But, you know, it's it's not important on how I feel. Uh, it's much more important how the players feel. And I, I think they're ready. Uh, I think they're anxious to get going. In fact, I think they were ready to get going uh, a while ago. Uh, they want to start playing real games, and that's where we're at now. So I asked Blakey this question the, um, earlier today on on his during his availability, and so I guess the same question for you it is: if you have to sort of rank the training camps that you've been involved in, each of them has had their own unique attributes, right? But is this the most excited that you've ever been leaving a, a Kings training camp when you just look at the roster on paper and the possibility of what this season could mean? Is that a fair assessment? Well, I, I think that's fair from from my perspective. Um, you know, my time here. Uh, training camp number one, just trying to figure everybody out. It, it's a huge task to get names right. And, uh, I remember calling Walker, Wagner, and Wagner, Walker, <laughs> and not even knowing half of the guys. When you throw 40 players or 50 or 55 players on the ice, they want a training camp, and you haven't seen them before. Uh, some of them you've never met. You don't know what they look like in equipment. You don't know how they skate. That's a tough task for for anybody to sort out. So that, that initial training camp was just that. Um, we knew who we were as, as far as the team was gonna was going and, and what the plan was going to be. So we had a good idea of foreshadowing what was going to happen. Uh, last year, uh, I don't think any coach would, would bring their work normal into uh, the conversation. Training camp was very short. Uh, black and white game was basically all we had. And then we started playing games. So. Mm-hmm. And that was different. So this was as close to normal as you, you have for, uh, for a regular training camp. Uh, there's some excitement, uh, twofold. I'm sure we'll talk about the players we've added uh, with experience and players that we've added without experience. Um, it's been a very uh, competitive training camp. Uh, but that competition doesn't end now because we're down to 24 or 25 players, including injuries. It, uh, it just begins again. And uh, that's a healthy thing for our organization. I think that Internal competition is going to drive this organization over the next few years, and, and we'll eventually get to where we want to go. Now, of course, we will get into the line combinations, the player additions, all all the good stuff, the goaltending, et cetera. But let's let's try to have a couple more fun ones before we get into the meat of it. Uh, I don't think we've asked you before about your musical taste. Music is a big part of the program. Um, do you have a favorite band or a favorite artist so we can at least play, you know, a Todd McClellan song on the way out the door here today? Well, you know what's what's ironic is I was just heading down. I was telling Luke that I have to go and, and have this conversation with you, and he was mentioning to me that somebody really likes rock concerts <laughs> and has a tendency to miss the odd practice. So Luke wanted me to bring that up maybe on this podcast. But yes, in any case, I don't know who he'd be talking about. But in any case, uh, I, I'm a country music guy. I'm from Saskatchewan, so um, you know, let's face it, that's what we grew up with. That's what we've listened to. Uh, I like old country. I like the country from the eighties, uh, but I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not turning it up in the house and, uh, and rocking out. Uh, I put my earpods in every now and then, but not, not like my kids would, or, or maybe some other people. So um, radio's on all the time, and that's about it. All right. So when I think of country music in the eighties, I think of like Kenny Rogers. So maybe that's just uh, that's that's well. Well, picked. let me be. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with Kenny Rogers. But. <laughs> 
sure. Well, an cl- older classic would have been more like, you know, yeah. uh, some Hank Williams or Johnny Cash or something. George Strait, yeah, that kind of stuff. George Strait. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll look into that for you. Um, okay. Now, look, let's, let's just let's cut right to the chase on this one here. Uh, when it comes to the hair game, Robo has you beat. Robo has that really nice flow. We have to admit that, right? Well, Robo's also about 40 years younger. He's so not 40 years younger. He's going to have some great hits. I guarantee you that. Uh, well, I think last season, over the first 10 games of the year, I think uh, he probably had some gray hair, but he, yeah. <laughs> he must and have. there's more coming, trust me. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's not all fixed just because he has the great prospect pool at his disposal. But um, what, what's the flip side of that? So he has the better hair. What, what do you have over Robo? Uh, about 20 years, I think. <laughs> I was hoping you would say, like, you know, you have a harder shot or, uh, you know, a louder voice, something. No, I don't know. We, you know what? Yeah, last year when the, uh, during the pandemic uh, shutdown, we obviously didn't play hockey until January. So we were all back here in the, in the South Bay and we were uh, meeting regularly every morning talking about how we wanted to play as an organization, situational things, language. Um, it was like a hockey summit for, for two months, really. Mm-hmm. And we would do that in the morning. And then uh, the coaching staff here, as well as the American League staff, took up uh, uh, beach tennis. So we would go play beach tennis every day. And uh, Robo was part of that. Um, Is he any good? Know, uh, he was okay. Yeah, he was he was fine. Um, once he got uh, the joints limbered up a little bit, he, he was much better. Okay, fair. Um, how about your evolving relationship with Rob Blake? Let's just talk about that for a second. Obviously, everybody knows you had a pre-existing relationship prior to coming to L.A., but I would imagine that it's been an evolving relationship, him as the journal manager, you as the coach, but also evolving because the team itself has been evolving. So just what what has what has changed maybe over the last three, six months, or maybe even over the last couple of years in your relationship with Blakey, would you say? Yeah, you know what, I'm not, I don't have to address the, the player-coach part of it. Uh, we've talked about that in the past, but, but certainly since I've been here, um, we each have, have jobs to do. Uh, they're, they're the same in many ways, and they're different in a lot of ways. And uh, I, I think the unity between the two of us is, is the really strong thing. I, I get what he has to do. Uh, I understand his staff and how they go about things. Uh, I'll share my thoughts. I'm always honest and open with them. And, and in turn, he does the exact same thing with me. So there are there, there's no fluff when, when he and I talk. We just call it how it is, and mm-hmm. we, we respect each other. And uh, it's been a really good relationship in my mind. Uh, I've learned a lot from him, um, not only when he played, but even as a manager. I ask questions about. Uh, some of the older players maybe down the training camp. Wakey, how did you feel uh, those last two years in, in San Jose? Did you feel like you got enough in camp? Did you feel like you needed to play more games? Uh, were you ready to play after our training camps there? Uh, what did you need to hear from the coach heading in? Like, there, There's so many things I can ask uh, Rob Blake as a general manager that I couldn't ask maybe some of the other managers. Doug Wilson certainly... Maybe not so much Peter Shirelli, mm-hmm. uh, but Blakey offers that, and it's uh, the end of him playing is a lot closer to the ones uh, that are playing now. So uh, I, I think it's a great relationship, um, and uh, we challenge each other. We use the staff that we have around us, and uh, we're, we're pulling in the same direction. We, we want to move this thing forward and make the team better. 
All right. So now, now comes the hard part. Now I get to take you to task a little bit here. I remember on day one of training camp this year, there were two answers specifically that you, that you either gave or didn't give, depending how you want to look at it, that I, I, I've been waiting very patiently to follow up on. One is you made the comment uh, about line combinations. I don't even know if you remember this or not, but you, you said something to the effect of, as you side-eyed me uh, during, during your, your comment and said, you can project the line combinations all you want, but we have no idea what the line combinations are going to be on opening night. Of course, under my breath, I sort of chuckled and thought, there's no way that I'm buying that because I know that a lot of what you guys say, you sort of have to say, and some of it's a cliche and all that stuff. But when I picture you this summer, especially after the, the, the trade for Ardvitson, the signing of Deneau, I just see you and a whiteboard and like every 30 minutes changing the lineups. And you probably have like a hundred different line combinations of what you wanted to do coming into training camp. So I just have to tell you, I'm not buying this whole thing. You have no idea what you're doing. Your, your description of what I and other coaches do is, is very accurate. We're, you know, we're scratching things down. We'll sit and have a beer and we pull a napkin out and we start moving stuff around. But quite frankly, that's insanity until you actually get to see your players. Uh, Katja, for example, um, Quentin Byfield, Artie Kaleev, where, where, where's their game at? Uh, who would Arvidsson fit well? We, we have thoughts, but until we actually see them and they, they give us so many indicators to know when I have followed how they, uh, a year ago, they, they go to each other for, for conversations. They talk about the situations. You can see them develop the unity, but, uh, that's why in the middle of the summer, when I asked the question, in the middle of the summer, we can have grand plans and we can write all the names out and the next hour we're scribbling them. And then an hour later, we're scribbling them and erasing names. Uh, I, I was being honest with you. I had no idea where we were going to end up. I had a pretty good idea of pairs, mm-hmm. uh, of how we wanted to go. But filling the, the lines in with individuals uh, takes time. It takes um you know, you you have to be patient. You got to let things happen a little bit. Uh, there have been times throughout training camp where we were pulling apart and see something else, but it would go against being patient. Um, so we're going to have some. Obviously, we're going to have four lines playing uh, when we open up against Vegas. Uh, we think that will give us our best chance of winning. Uh, it will also position players to have a chance of success. Um, Artie Kaleev is a prime example. I, I think he can play in the top six. I think he can uh, uh, run a power play. I think that he can be a scorer in the National Hockey League, and I think he will be all those things in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to throw him to the wolves and, and ask him to do all those things right off the bat? We could we could go that route, or we could ease him in a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, give him bits and pieces so that he gets some confidence, and uh, that's the route we'll go. Um, one way or the other isn't right or wrong. It's just one that we, that we will choose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Grom is a player. But ultimately, when we're scribbling on that napkin, he should move up into the top six. Um, Tachev should move up into the top six when, uh, you know, when he gets accustomed to everything. Um, and we hope that happens. It may not happen the first three weeks. It may not happen at Christmas. It may not even happen this year. But... Uh, part of the process is getting them there. Mm-hmm. And Quentin Byfield would be another one like that. You, you mentioned Vladdy, and, and it's interesting because I remember on the opening day of training camp, you kept repeatedly referring to the four additions. And 
all summer, most of the media was talking about the three additions that the Kings made, talking, of course, about Edler, Deneau, and, and Arvidsson. And, and you were constantly referring to the four additions that were made. Um, you know, how early on in the process were you that committed to, to, to Vladdy being part of the team or being excited and knowing that he had the potential to crack the lineup? Because he certainly had to, on paper at least, be a long shot coming in, you know, being an unknown. He wasn't somebody that you guys had watched up close in the American League like Kaliev or Kapari or, you know, even Byfield last year. Um, he's coming in completely unknown and coming in from the KHL. Uh, just talk about, you know, maybe where your head was at heading into training camp. Well, uh, first of all, if he, you know, if, if our staff, our, our pro scouts and, and Blakey are uh, are signing a young man like this, we've got to give them every opportunity. We've got to trust that they do uh, the work that they do, and they're very good at it. So when they present a player like this to us, we've got to try and make it work. Um, obviously, coming from the, the KHL, we've got to give them every opportunity to make the team as quick as possible and fit in. Uh, I don't think that uh, Vladdy is, is over here to play in the American League. I don't think that was the plan for him. Uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he can't go there and won't go there. But he came here to play in the NHL, just like everybody else. But we have to give him an opportunity. And then we have to treat him like everybody else. And we had three um, players we acquired through trades or signings. And the fourth one was, was me. We have to treat him equally. And, uh, I think his training camp has shown that he's capable so far of playing in the in the league, and um, I also wanted the rest of the team to understand that the competition wasn't just with Arvidsson, Danilo, and Edler coming in. There was another guy, mm-hmm. and then throw in Kaleev and Byfield and Turcotte and Kapari, and it, it was the most competitive camp. But I wanted Touch to be a part of that as well. You mentioned briefly uh, a second ago about pairs and things like that. Um, I'm not arguing for or against the pairs. I'm just curious the thought process that goes in. P- you know, take us behind the curtain, if you will. When you're thinking of that top line, which starts with Kopitar, d- when you say a pair, does it begin with, well, it's Kopitar and Brown. Now, who is the other winger that I want to play there? Or is it, in this case, you know, was it Arvidsson and Kopitar? And let me figure out who the other winger is. W- what was the pair that you started with there? Well, we had a good idea that we were going to play RV with Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what we wanted. We uh, we wanted him to, to shoot the puck. We wanted him to uh, to forecheck with his tenacity. Um, you know, so if, if we were doing Kobe and RV, we had to complement it. And RV likes to play on the left side. So now we look at the right side, and um, you know, Brownie has uh, has obviously experience with Kobe. They they like and enjoy playing with each other. And we're hoping that we can get Brownie and Kopi off to a good start. So we went with some familiarity there. Uh, and after that, Dano and I follow some great uh, um, uh, some unity, I guess, or a connection between each other. So it just built and built. Uh, Velarde and Venus uh, and Anderson uh, at the end of last year, they had something going. So we, we tried to start at that point and then moved out around. Uh, we have some wild cards. Uh, Trevor Moore can move up and down. He can go all over the place, play different positions. I think uh, uh, Kempe can do the same thing. So we built lines that way. Um, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I think Velarde's line has maybe been the most effective line um, you know, throughout the exhibition season. Now, they did get to play a lot of games. They got a lot of reps. Uh, we expect Kofi's line and Deneau's line to get polished up a little bit more here before game one. Um, and we're counting on those guys to be the one in the two punch. And then uh, Gabe's 
sitting in the three hole is is a, a real good thing for him and for us this season. Now, Todd, it's time to drink some truth serum. If I would have called you a month ago and said that Gabe Velarde's line was going to be the most effective or productive, best-looking line, any of those words, in training camp, what would you have said? Well, I would have said it depends on who their competition was. Uh, we have to look at the, the, the games they've played in and the level of competition they've had. When they, when they slot out against the other team's third line, uh, I think we have enough tall, small size on the other the other teams. That may be the line that makes the difference. Uh, if Kofi's line and Demo's line play even, well, maybe we can take advantage of Gabe's line. So I would have told you that then. Hmm. Um, but the uh, uh, the defensive improvement, I think, in Gabe's game has been noticeable. Um, I think that Tatchev uh, uh, has uh, created a level of confidence around him with, with us as coaches as well as his teammates, and that certainly helps. And they've had a good training camp. There's no other way of saying it. Uh, and I'm excited about that. Okay, now I tried asking this, asking you this question recently uh, after a practice, and I didn't get the answer I was looking for. Maybe it was my fault for not asking the Uh-oh. question properly. No, it, it's I'm I'm fascinated, really, truly fascinated by the number of players playing on their offside, including Ayafalo and things like that. So obviously Brownie's played left side, right side throughout his career, the 2012 Cup run. He played primarily on the left side. Um, he's been more of a right wing the last couple of years, so not a lot of surprise there. But Ayafalo playing on his offside. We know that RV plays uh, on, on both sides, but is is there a strategic reason for playing certain players on their offside this season well, compared to last year? We have, so we have um, a variety of different players we can pick and choose from. Um, our system allows them to basically be forwards. Um, there are interchangeable pieces, uh, whether it's in the offensive zone, the neutral zone, or even in the D zone. So you have to have the ability to play all over. Would we like our centers to play through the middle of the Yes, we would. So let's assume that's going to happen 90% of the time. The wingers, on the other hand, can be interchangeable. Uh, I also think the game is going um, a direction where the, you've got to get the puck off the wall a lot. Um, you think of the neutrals and you think of play, play in the D zone. And, and sometimes being on your strong side, receiving pucks underneath your body and being able to protect uh, the, the the puck from the attacker, uh, taking pucks off the wall, looking underneath, or looking up ice is a benefit. And uh, so we have no problem playing guys on the off wing. Uh, I follow still playing on the left side. Kemp is playing on the right. Uh, but if they have a preference during the game and they come to me and say, hey, we want to flip, I have no problem doing that. Um, they give us information and they, they give us little cues like that that they're more comfortable doing something. Uh, plus they have input into the lineup. We're fine doing that. Okay. Uh, we have we have you just for a couple more minutes. I do appreciate your time. I have some prospect-related questions, but first let's just uh, wrap up on the P word, the playoff word, which is, it's been around, it's been hovering around uh, throughout training camp. And and I my assessment would be that you've been a little bit cautious to talk about it. I think on day one, your comment was, why are we worried about the playoffs? We need to worry about you know training camp and then even just being ready for game one. Uh, how do you size up a team when you look at them as a coach and think to yourself, yes, this team's ready to take the next step. Yes, this team's ready for the playoffs. You've told us in the past about competition, especially among the bottom six and things like that, that that that's a sign, that that's an indicator. So what other types of signs or indications should we be looking at when we look at the LA Kings and trying to determine if they're a playoff team this year? 
Well, improvement. And, and you know what? Coach is just using the single word. He's throwing it out there. What does that mean? I, I think we have to improve in, in a lot of areas of our game. Obviously, we've got to score more. So where are the goals coming from? So as the year goes on, are we are we producing like a playoff team does? And you can go back and analytics will tell you what playoff teams produce and goals for. There's always an outlier. Uh, I think Dallas a couple of years ago didn't produce very many goals and and uh, they were an outlier. They made it. And the same thing, goals for and goals against. We can put a number up on the board and we know that we've got to get to a certain level for and a certain level against. And if the this season gets away on us one way or the other, it doesn't mean that we're out, but it means that it's going to be that much more difficult. So we've got to improve both offensively and defensively, power play, penalty kill. I can go on and on and talk about all the areas of improvement. Mm-hmm. But there are there are some standards that playoff teams hit throughout the year. Um, and, and at the end, they hit a certain mark, and that mark is playoff quality. Uh, our goals for have to go up. Um, there's no doubt about it. That's why Arvidsson's here. Mm-hmm. That's why Artie Kaleev's getting a chance. That's why Tatchev's in, in the lineup to start with. Our goals against have to come down. Uh, that's why Edler's here and Deneau and, uh, you know, those kind of guys that we've added into the lineup. Um, you know, so it, it's not rocket scientists, science. It's uh, goals for and against and improving in, in both areas. Now, that may not be the answer anybody wants to hear, uh, but that's reality. That's exactly where it is. And that's uh, our approach every day. And, uh, it's going to vary throughout the year. We're going to have win streaks. We're going to have losing streaks. Uh, how do we act and behave during those is, is going to be important. But um, it's hard for coaches in our situation to use the P word right away because we're, we're running the marathon and we can't talk about mile 24 until we get miles 1 through 15 in order. Mm-hmm. And make sure that we 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 have a good pace to our run, and then we're taking care of ourselves, and we're hydrated, and all the other things that, that go into that running analogy. Uh, Tampa may be able to talk about uh, miles twenty four to you know twenty to twenty four or whatever it might be. They may be able to do that. They have experience. They've ran the, the initial part for a long time now. Uh, we're at a different spot, so um, that's why I talk about improvement. Yeah, no, that makes sense. One of the phrases that Robo uses that I really like is earned confidence. And I think that's a great example of what you're talking about, that Tampa has that earned confidence already. You know, the Kings are in the process of trying to earn that confidence so that they can bank some of that for uh, throughout the season and into, you know, future seasons as well. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Quentin Byfield earlier. I think we have to touch on him with the injury situation. He was on track to make the team, which was, you know, exciting for the fan base and management and probably some of the players as well. And I know there are two schools of thought. So without just, you know, straddling the line and and, and not taking a position, um, there will be two schools of thought when he comes back, right? Uh, when When he is healthy, whatever it is, four to six, six to eight, however many weeks it is. And that would be, well, he was going to make the lineup, so we need to put him right back in the lineup. And, you know, he doesn't lose his spot due to injury. Or it's sort of the flip side, which is, well, a veteran player doesn't lose his spot due to injury, but this is a different situation. He was trying to earn his spot, and he was working off of momentum. He built the momentum throughout the summer, throughout development camp, training camp, so on. But all that momentum, or a lot of it, the inertia and the moment of the momentum is going to be gone, you know, six weeks from now. Um, what do you do with the Quentin Byfield when, he, when he's ready? Well, we evaluate him. Um, we're talking about a six foot four, two hundred and twenty five pound, um, eighteen or nineteen year old, and 
a, a leg injury, um, a broken ankle. There's no training in the gym right now for it. There's no cardio. There's no leg strength. There's no none of that's going on until he can heal. So let's face it, he is physically going to be tired. We we know that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing he or anybody else can do about that. So we've got to evaluate him. And once he gets up to and gets his, his level up to where he was in the past, I don't know when that is going to be. Now he's got to go out and handle the puck. He's got to make plays. He's got to pass it. He's going to take a, a big hit again. There's a lot of things to think about as we go forward. Um, it's not just, hey, the bone's healed six weeks from now, pop him back in and away he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't even be that way for Kofi. He has to get his engine going again. Uh, so when you hear six to eight weeks, that's, you know, that's the bone healing. Uh, but now what about lungs and legs and strength? And the last thing we want to do is put him in a situation where he's physically not ready and he gets hurt again. Um, so it's going to take some time, but he's going to have to be patient with, uh, the process of this injury. And, um, we don't plan on using him for 10 games. We plan on using him for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that will be uh, an important factor into the decision on, on where he starts and how soon he gets back and all that type of stuff. But uh, again, we're talking uh, hypothetically uh, when he could be back and how we feel, and we have to take we have to evaluate. I think that was my answer, and that's what we'll do. Yeah. Uh, last one then would just be, I think we already know, you know, Kaliev's going to get an opportunity here to start the season. Kapari's knocking on the door, probably just looking for some sort of an opening. Um, Alex Turcott sort of not lost in the process, but didn't get a lot of discussion and mentioned throughout training camp this year, uh, you know, as much as maybe people were hoping for. Um, so I just, I guess I have to ask. What more does Alex Turcott need to do? You were over in Arizona. You scouted him. You watched him at the rookie face-off. You had an opportunity to see him up close and personal in some games during the training camp. What areas are you looking for in terms of improvement uh, in Alex Turcott at some point to then get a get a spot with the LA Kings? Well, Turk, Turk is close as a player. He's he's got a lot of skill and a lot of uh, talent that I think he can uh, bring to uh, the National Hockey League. Uh, a little more experience by there. He was hurt for a little while last year. And, and really just trying to stay healthy um, mm-hmm. is a big thing. He had, to, he had a real good game. Um, when uh, the week he came back, he was hurt. He came up, he got hurt again, he went back down. came back up. It's just physically to try and eliminate a lot of the bumps and the bruises. Um, he's in a situation down there right now where he's a go-to guy. And there's no better opportunity for him than, than now to take advantage of it, get some confidence offensively, uh, be responsible defensively, and, and work your way back here. Um, you know, it could be on the wing, it could be in the middle. Um, but just take some time and, and establish yourself there, get your health in order, and um, become the guy there. Um, not unlike uh, what Logan Couture did uh, for us in, in San Jose. He spent... I don't know, 50 or 60 games in the American League, was an all-star there, was a leading scorer, learned how to check both ways, and he came up and he never went back. Um, That can be uh, Turk's path if he takes advantage of it. All right, so my last one is just a comment then, Todd, and certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, I had to turn in my preseason predictions, you know, who's going to win the division, who's going to win all the various awards. I didn't want to tell you this at the beginning of the call because I didn't want you to think that I was, you know... uh, pandering or kissing up to you, but I selected you as the Jack Adams award winner. So can you please this season make me look good 
Uh, this is the second year in a row. You let me down last year, but I need you to win the award this year and make me look good. You do know that that award is a curse, right? <laughs> I, I've been nominated twice, and I don't think I made it through the, the following season. So um, thanks for the nomination. <laughs> but you'll politely pass? <laughs> is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd be happy just to see our team play really well. It's uh, it's never about me. It's not. And uh, uh, let's hope that our some of our individual players are up for awards and the team plays really well. All right, go out and have some fun, and uh, we'll check back in with you. We'll have you back on the program uh, maybe midseason and get a get an, a midseason update from you. But until then, uh, enjoy the first half of the season. Okay, that sounds good, and I'll be sitting in that restaurant. <laughs> I'll, we'll see you there. We'll see you there on Tuesday night. Have a cold beer ready for me. That's Todd McClellan. We'll be back after this, and uh, we'll talk more about that and some more LA Kings hockey after the break. You got to have an ace in the hole, a little secret that nobody knows. Life is a gamble, a game we all play But you need to save something for a rainy day You've got to learn to play your cards right If you expect to win in life Don't put it all on the line for just one roll You've got to have an ace in the hole If you're headed down one-way street not sure it's the way you want to go And money or love or all the above Have a little more than what you show When life deals out a surprise Have a few surprises of your own No matter what you do, no matter where you go You've got to have an ace in the hole Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Okay, welcome back, third period. Thanks again to Coach Todd McClellan. Uh, DB, according to Todd, you and I need to hurry up next Tuesday and get down to uh, that restaurant in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> He's been waiting to have a meal with us. Little did we know, so we'll have to jump on that. I'm clearing my calendar right now, John. Let's do it. Okay, okay. fantastic. Fantastic. I'm sure you can order up an umbrella drink, too, and we'll uh, we'll have to tweet that out. Oh, yeah. Uh, before easy. we before we move into the predictions here, Dennis, I do just uh, have a little quick announcement. Shameless plug. Uh, uh, people have told me my whole life I have a, a face for radio, but I guess I'm going to put that to the test. Dennis. this Saturday night, Kings <laughs> will be taking on Minnesota in the second game of the season. And uh, it's a home game at Staples Center. And uh, during the second period of the uh, Bally's television production. You can see me on the program uh, during second intermission. I'll be talking about the LA Kings, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll talk about Kings of the Podcast too. We'll we'll, we'll fit it all in. <laughs> if you're not watching live, fans, like hit that DVR button right now because this is a. I won't say it's a culmination, but it's um, as a partner, as a friend, I couldn't be more thrilled for you, John. I'm like really excited for you. I know you do great, so I'm really fucking looking forward to you getting on screen and showing that mug of yours and telling people all the great <laughs> things that you're going to talk about. So it's going to be, yeah. yeah. I, again, I, yeah. I couldn't be, I couldn't be happy for you. I'm really thrilled. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you, you've been a longtime friend and a longtime supporter of my work as well, and, and it's great collaborating and partnering with you and doing all this sort of fun stuff. So yep. speaking of collaborations, over on your site, we've talked enough about Mayor's Manor, over on uh, thefourthperiod.com for for many years now, uh, you guys have included me and asked me to join in when you, you and the staff over at the fourth sure. period give your annual predictions 
Uh, and so we just did that this earlier this week. We had to submit our, our, our uh, predictions to Dave Panyota, and they have published. People can go and check them out. I've tweeted about it. You've tweeted about it. I figured that you and I might want to get together and debate some of these, and you probably even have a few questions uh, as well. Yes. And I have to – and, Dennis, it pains me to say this because I love to chirp you and give you such a hard time. It pains me <laughs> to say there were two of your predictions that I looked at and I just was so disappointed in myself because they are awesome predictions, and I missed them. I could have had the same prediction, uh, but I went a different direction. And so um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that when we get to it. So uh, let's start out okay. with the division winners. Uh, DB, in the Atlantic division, you went with the Florida Panthers. I went with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you have the floor first. Uh, I love the Panthers. I can't call them a sleeper, John, because they're so talented, but add Sam Reinhardt. The thing with them is their goaltending. Is the goaltending going to come through? Because remember, they lost in six to Tampa without Aaron Eckblad. Um, and you could see from the preseason games, John, they're already brawling on the ice. These teams hate each other. So I like Florida, but certainly Tampa Bay. You know, with all the talk about Tampa Bay, John, your pick, uh, their top six is intact. Their defense is intact. And they have the best goaltender in the world right now, Vasilevsky. So that's a legit pick, too. As much people don't think they can three-peat. But I, I just love Florida this season. Um, not to win it all, but I, I really think they can win this division. And, and I'll tell you why I took Tampa here. And I will tell you that I, I really wrestled with this decision because it is so difficult to come back, especially after winning two back-to-back cups, to be able right. to do it again. And they lost that whole third line, which is really the glue or was the glue of that team. Uh at the end of the day, I looked at their depth and and I sort of decided to lean into the things that you were just talking about. Uh, looking at their goaltending, uh, it's a little more solid compared to the question marks, you know, that are going on in Florida. And is Spencer mm-hmm. Knight going to get enough games? What are they going to do with Bob and his, you know, seven billion dollar contract? Uh, <laughs> you know, the, f- the forward depth. You know, uh, maybe you could argue that there's they're even in, in certain areas, but. Uh, at the end of the day, I just I, I guess I went with the safe pick here. I didn't necessarily in some other areas, but I went with the safer sure. pick here and just said, hey, man, it's Tampa's division until somebody knocks them off. But I certainly agree with you that if someone's going to knock them off this year, it's going to be Florida. So uh, that'll be fun to watch in the Atlantic. Probably not much to talk about in the Metro uh, or the f- more formal, the Metropolitan Division, Dennis, because we both went with the New York Islanders. I think we're both high on the Islanders. So uh, anything you want to add to that at this point or we'll save that? Now, they're the most complete team in the division, John, right now. And there's some changes. Even, look, people had Pittsburgh. They were counting them out, saying they were going to get killed last night. And look what they did. And they, they rose up and they beat Tampa. But, yeah, they're the most complete team in the division, I think, without chance, without question. I did not want to take Colorado in the Central just because I'm not completely sold on Colorado. And that sounds weird mm-hmm. to people because that team is so loaded. But to me, they come across more like a fantasy hockey team that is so loaded with talent, mm-hmm. but that just doesn't – they're missing – something to help put them over the top. And I know there's some frustration there coming out of the playoff loss last year and whatnot. I wanted to pick somebody else in the central, but I just couldn't do it. I I couldn't make a rational enough argument. And so I went with Colorado and you did the same. What was it? Was it a difficult decision for you at all? Or it was Colorado and you didn't spend much time on it. Yeah, I get your point, John, but that's probably in the postseason because of the way they lack of urgency against Vegas. So you're thinking a team that was physical, that could hit them, might do it, but I just think there's too much of a gap in talent between them and the next couple of teams that could make mm-hmm. the, yeah, an upset here in the Central. So it wasn't too hard to think. I just think the talent gap there is. But you're right. There's going to be question marks if Darcy Kemper's going to be the guy in the postseason. Is, is their defense going to hold up? They're going to miss Ryan Graves. So uh, there are questions, but I agree. They do like like a fantasy hockey team with respect to the, the lineup this season. 
Now, everybody on the panel here, and I don't, I didn't, I didn't uh, count. I apologize. I think it's like twelve or fourteen people that are on the panel this year. Everybody took Colorado in the Central Division. Mm-hmm. Nearly everybody took the Islanders in the Metro, except two people had Carolina, and uh, there was there was a vote for uh, Toronto over in the Atlantic Division, which is very surprising. Uh, but <laughs> moving on, very surprising. Um, but into the Pacific Division. Nearly everybody took Vegas, including yourself, Dennis, but uh, Anthony DeMarco uh, had the same idea that I did, and that mm-hmm. was the Oilers. If you'll hear me out on this, this is this is sort of yes. my thought process. On Go paper, I would, agree, I would agree that Vegas should win the division. However, I sense, I feel, I believe, I think that one of those two teams is going to somewhat implode, either o- the Oilers or... Or Vegas, mm-hmm. and I will tell you, I don't like the goaltending very much in either in either city. I think that it was a bummer that they ran uh, Mark Andre Fleury out of Vegas. That's uh, taking nothing away from Robin Leonard, but I think there's a lot that can be said about sort of you know the heartbeat of a team, and that's what Mark Andre Fleury was for the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a very difficult personality, a very difficult person to take out of the room. We've talked at length sure. before; they're not deep at center. What are they going to do for a one C? That sort of thing. Um, you know, Alec Martinez was thrust into the in, uh, top line, def- top pairing defenseman last year as well. Is is that something he's going to be able to sustain? You know, it becomes increasingly right. harder every year. You know, he's a veteran player. Um, obviously, the you know uh, Shea Theodore, you know, and sort of his coming out party is 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 fantastic for them. Um, they just make questionable decisions as as an organization, and so I worry about Vegas and them being able to sustain at that level. When I get to the Oilers, Mike Smith, I don't have any confidence or any faith in. They are loaded, but in a different way compared to like a Colorado. Mm-hmm. I worry about uh, two other things that I worry about sort of uh, besides the goaltending. Um, one is, are they going to be able to play strong enough team defense to be able to commit to, to, to winning those tight games, right? We know that if Leon and Connor go off, they can win, you know, 6-5. But in order to win enough games to win the division, you have to win some tight games too. So not only do you need goaltending, but yeah. you need team defense and the other thing i worry about is the guys that got paid um we know how effective someone like a zach hyman was when he was in toronto um darnell nurse now got paid you just you have some guys they were paid they were paid a lot of money Mm -hmm. more money than some people myself included think that they should have been paid but good on them for getting it but dennis now that they have the money will they still be able to perform at that level because in order for edmonton to take the next step and to win the division you know they have to play that full 82 that we were talking about earlier. So yeah. uh, I just I just kind of flipped a coin here and said, look, one of those two teams is going to implode and it's going to have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I don't you know, and I, I don't think that this is really a one two slam dunk like some people do is what I'm saying. Um, when I say implode, I don't mean completely implode to the point of them not making the playoffs. But if a different team finished second other than Vegas or Edmonton in the Pacific Division, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Uh, at the end of the day, really? I just ended up going with – no, I, 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 just, I, th- I mean, yeah, I just don't. So at the end of the day, I ended up going with Edmonton, uh, I guess more or less just to just, just to mix it up. I don't know. The Marc-Andre mm-hmm. Fleury thing is just really bugging me. It's really bugging me, DB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And guys like Mike Rupp also picking Edmonton, and I agree with you, John. I think that the character in the room is going to be tested in Vegas, and I will tell you this – and. He, he might win at Stanley Cup in Vegas, but they traded the wrong goalie. Like I said mm-hmm. it from day one. I'll keep saying it. They traded the wrong goalie. And, you know, the treatment of some of the players, I'm not sure how it's sitting with Marty or with um, Mark Stone or with Max Pacioretty. So it's going to be interesting to see if these guys all come together internally and just fight through this 
or it, it does implode the team. I, I agree with you. I, I think with respect to Edmonton, to me, I think it comes down to that second pair. Right now it's uh, Duncan Keith and Cody Ceci. Not really a championship winning second <laughs> pair, so the way I look at it. But could they rise yeah. up and uh, on the strength of those two amazing players and win the division? They could. I, I don't think. I don't think that's an unreasonable pick. Are you picking the Oilers to be honest for for the division title? All right. So we have the individual awards that we will get to in just a moment. But of course, we also had to submit uh, to the fourthperiod.com our predictions for the Stanley Cup winner and the Stanley Cup runner up. And Dennis, we've talked about this before. It's so hard to do in October because we haven't seen these teams. Right. So, you know, just even sticking on Edmonton. Right. They made improvements. Allegedly. Are they better? You know, and Colorado went out and changed their goaltender. Does that make them better? You need to see all these things play out over 20, 30, 50 games before you really can make an educated decision. Nonetheless, we had to submit our our guesses here. I said uh, that for the Stanley Cup final, it was going to be the Islanders versus the Winnipeg Jets. And you said that it was going to be the Islanders versus the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, so that was interesting. Yeah. And you took the Islanders to win the cup. I took the Islanders to win the cup. So that was boring. Agreed on By something. the way, we do all this. We do all this <laughs> blindly. So you don't know what I'm going to submit. I don't know what you're going to submit. Yeah, no, we but, don't uh, consult with each so other. We, exactly. No, no consulting. We both have the Islanders winning. Uh, do you want to talk about your, your finals prediction of Colorado and the Islanders? No, I want to talk about yours. The sexy pick, wet Winnipeg. <laughs> that, that's a that's a sexy pick, John. That's like the – and I, I can't – I'm trying to think, like, why – and you're not the only one that, that thinks that this is a team that, that could make it that far. Um, I don't see it, to be honest with you, because of their defense. But uh, just, just a few words on why you picked Winnipeg. I, great. Excellent. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Here's why. There's a, there are a couple reasons, and one of those reasons uh, Elliot Friedman very succinctly put in his 32 thoughts this week as well, uh, which came out, I think, the day after we had to submit these, if I remember correctly. But anyway, uh, he said it perfectly, and I wish that I would have said it, which is, Winnipeg just went about their business very quietly uh, over mm-hmm. the summer, and and it, yep. you know if you think back or if you look back, I've so I've picked Winnipeg several times now over the last five years to go to the Stanley Cup final because I've liked a lot mm-hmm. of that team. I and to answer your question though, why did I pick them? I think that goaltending becomes uh, you know extremely important. It's not just me; everybody knows this, but sure. goaltending is so important. In the playoffs, and you talked earlier about the goaltending in Tampa. I think Connor Hellebuck is, you know, perhaps top three, top two goaltenders in the National Hockey League. Yeah. I think I just think he's phenomenal, and I like what they where they're at. Um, I think Shifley comes into the season with a real chip on his shoulder, and I think that him not mm-hmm. being around uh, at the end last year did have an impact. Uh, I think that he's going to have a huge season, um, and. Defensively speaking, I you know I think they added some depth pieces. I think they're good. I just I like the Winnipeg Jets, and I like the fact that this year they're coming in without those high expectations that they're going to have to try to live up to, and that could be just right. enough that'll help them sort of get over the hump. And quite honestly, when I looked at the other field of contenders, I just wasn't completely sold on Vegas, Colorado, and a few of the others for mm-hmm. the reasons that I mentioned earlier. And I was like, you know what, lurking in the background, sure. there's the Winnipeg Jets. I'm, yeah. I'm going to ride them. I'm going to go with it. Yep. That's, well, the top six can score. Like, it may come down to Dubois. You know, is Pierre-Luc Dubois going to be that 2C that they need behind Sheffley? And be, if he can produce, then yeah, they're going to be a dangerous team. And there's no pressure on them, right? As you mentioned, of all the markets in Canada, they're probably the least pressure of all to play in Winnipeg. Yeah, you would hope that, that Dubois now has, a, you know, kind of his feet under him and he has his sea legs under him, mm-hmm. the trade and the nonsense and all that stuff's behind him. And if this guy can live up to the talent that so many people think that he has, 
he would be a nice addition, even though, you know, he's been there for a while. It would be a nice addition to what they do over the full 82-game season. Agreed. All right, let's get into some of the individual awards. I know that you are uh, chomping at the bit to talk about a few of these things. So we'll start with the Art Ross Trophy. <laughs> there probably is not much to talk about. We both went with Connor McDavid, and no. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, as I scroll here, Con- Connor swept the table between all of the uh, yes. all of the people on the panel. So there you go. Uh, for the Rocket Richard Shocking. Trophy, you went with yes, yeah. you went with Leon Dreisaitl. I went with David Pasternak. I don't think there's much to talk about here either. No, I don't think so. I think these guys are both going to be in the running, and it would be shocked if either one wound up winning the award at the end of the season. Now, many people on the panel ended up going with Austin Matthews. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe sitting here today, maybe, would they uh, would they want to change that pick a little bit, you know, just considering what's going on with Matthews right now, or no, you think that everything's fine? No, well, it may be fine, but it may be the difference in him winning the award or not. Is his wrist? How is he going to come out of it? And is it going to be a lingering thing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that, that that question mark, John, and maybe it's not a big question mark, maybe it's a, a small case question mark to me that I think will make the difference in him not winning the Richard this year. All right, so for the Hart Trophy, you selected Connor McDavid, and thank you very much for that, by the way, because if Connor does win the Hart, that probably means that Edmonton had a great season as well, and that will help them win the division. <laughs> so uh, that would that would be good for me. Uh, but Patrick Kane is who I went with for the Hart Whoa. Trophy selection. So I'm going to ask you, would you like me to kind of explain that? Well, here, here's what I would think. If they finish okay. second in the division – and he has a he's a top five or a top seven score, and he carries them to a, a second place uh, standing in that central behind. Or if they wound up winning the division, which I don't think. Well, I think it would be probably on his back. So I think that's probably what your thought process is. Yeah, you're you're on the right path there. It's it's this Chicago has made a ton of moves, and it's interesting because, at least from my perspective, they haven't been given a lot of publicity. There there's been a lot of turnover there. They're down to just Taves and mm-hmm. Kane pretty much left over from their cup run. So they've done a ton of cleaning house and turnover, whatever you want to call it. Um, and now, though, I'm curious to see how it's all going to come together. And right. I wish that we had on here who's the first coach to be fired because I think that the coach in Chicago is on the real hot seat, and I think that he will be the first coach to get fired. But I don't think that that's going to be a bad thing for the team. As we've seen so many times in the last couple of years, you replace that coach and it ends up really right. uh, doing wonders. Not only did it happen here in Los Angeles, but it happened in St. Louis and it happened in other other cities as well. I'm not saying that the Blackhawks will win the Stanley Cup, but clearing some of those guys out, getting some new stuff in there, I think the expectations are raised within management. And if they don't get it done out of the gate, switching it up and getting a different coach in there could breathe even additional life into that group, and um, I just think that Kane is poised to uh, to have a you know a solid year, and mm-hmm. uh, he he's well liked by many people around the league. And look, they want a feel good story, just like I think they want a good feel good story in Detroit, which we'll get to in a minute. I think they want a good feel good story in Chicago, and it wouldn't see me, sure. I, I would not be surprised to see him uh, get some consideration for the Hart Trophy. So there you go. Okay, John, we'll give everybody your Norris Trophy winner. Let's go. Norris Trophy. I I had a feeling you'd want to talk about this. For the Norris Trophy, I was disappointed, Dennis. You went with the safe pick. You went with Victor Hedman. Uh, Although, I was also equally surprised that not a lot of people on the panel went with Victor Hedman, not getting any love. Maybe he should have a chip on his shoulder. I almost went Shea Theodore, but I think I did that last year. Several people on the panel. I think you had Shea Theodore, uh, Makar, of course, Adam Fox. 
Uh, you had somebody who even said Darnell Nurse. So, again, thank you because that will probably help my case with Edmonton winning the division. But, of course, I went with Drew Doughty. Now, we don't have a laugh track to play right now. Maybe we should because I know that a lot of people are laughing and they want an explanation of why Drew Doughty. This is why, Dennis. I'm going to tell you, I'm not convinced that he's going to win the trophy. And you're going to ask me, well, then why did you pick him to win the trophy? Here's why. Because I wanted to have this conversation. And I wanted to talk about Doughty being nominated for the Norris Trophy. And I really thought that it was going to be Victor Hedman or Makar kind of across the board uh, from all the other panelists. And I, I didn't want to be I didn't want to be that guy who just picked what everybody else did. So here's my thought on Drew Doughty. Sure. He is as motivated as he has ever been. He talked about wanting to be part of Team Canada a year ago. If Drew Doughty has the type of season that gets him onto that team, and if Team Canada has mm-hmm. success uh, at the Olympics, I believe there is a recency bias that occurs within voters uh, in all sports. Sure. And I think that recency bias will be there because seeing Doughty, because if he makes the team, Dennis, he's going to be playing big minutes. He's going to be up against uh, you know, the top stars from the other countries, and he will be one of the stars, whether he comes away with a gold or a silver or even a bronze medal. Drew Doughty, I believe, will make an impact for Team Canada because that's who Drew Doughty is, and that will be right. a memory that is in the minds of the voters. And then if you double down on that with the Kings making the playoffs, uh, when many people are still picking them to be on the outside, people will be like, wow, Drew Doughty really had a great season, and I think that he will be given serious consideration mm-hmm. Uh, and it, for the finalist, why I don't think he's going to end up winning the trophy, though, DB, is that unfortunately the Norris Trophy has largely become offensive defenseman based and how many points yeah, you put up. And sure. that could, you know, that could prevent him from winning it. But I think that Drew Doughty is going to have a phenomenal season. And that's what I'm predicting. And that's why I wanted to put it down here. OK, makes sense. That's it. No rebuttal. Just to make sense. I expected you to shoot me down with a couple of things. No, no. I, well, no, because you made the point of it. It's a points-driven trophy now. Adam Fox, is, is Adam Fox the best defensive defenseman in the league? No, certainly not. I voted for him. So, And is McCarr going to get a lot of points in Colorado? Yeah. So I'd love to see Drew in – I'd love to see Drew in Vegas as a finalist. I think that's the best – and if he is, then they're in the playoffs, right? So I, I think that mm-hmm. that's – a lot of things would have to align for Drew to get there. But you're right about his motivation, John. I'll give you that much. Okay. Uh, For the Vesna Trophy, as I mentioned earlier, we both ended up going with Connor Hellebuck, so that's exciting. Mm -hmm. For the Calder Trophy, we both ended up going with Spencer Knight. I will be honest and tell you, Dennis, I wrestled on this one, and uh, it was nice to see that of the three people that I was wrestling with, all three of them were well-represented. Uh, on on the ballot or on the panelist uh, mm-hmm. group here, Cole Caulfield. I gave very heavily con- heavy consideration to yeah. Cole Caulfield. Sure. I also thought about Trevor Zegers, and I just think that at the end of the day, Anaheim's not going to win enough games for him to be given consideration over a Caulfield. Um, and so I came back mm-hmm. to Spencer Knight. I wrestle with will, again. Will Spencer be able to play enough games? Um, we both obviously at the end of the day thought that he was going to win the Calder, but the most interesting pick for Calder to me was by DeMarco who said more cider from the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's a, that's a really good pick. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it really, actually, I think uh, our, our stats guy, uh, Shane Kelly also picked cider for the, uh, he did. You're for, right. For he did. the, well, yes. Calder. Okay. Now. Okay. The Selkie, 
I have to so, hand it to you, Dennis. Mm. <laughs> I messed up. I messed up. I saw your pick, and I was like, oh, man, that's a really good pick. It's a really good pick. It's a really good pick. Uh, I went with Barkoff. Uh, no, I did not. I did not go with Barkoff. What am I talking about? Um, I went with you went uh, Bergeron. Bergeron. Yes, I did. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I went with Bergeron, and you went with Philippe Deneau, which is such a fantastic pick. He's been in and around this trophy yeah, and he's going to be in a major market in Los Angeles, playing two C, playing big minutes. Todd's going to talk about him every night. Kobe's going to give him love every night in the post game. Your your pick is brilliant, Dennis. Thank thank you, John. Yeah, he's been like in the top seven voting and stuff like that, and it's always a sleeper, right? But this is the year mm-hmm. that he comes out of the shadow, and you know it's funny he's come out of the shadow. He played in Montreal, but he's going to have a more prominent role. He's going to be you know playing those hard minutes and playing those defensive, you know. The, uh, shifts that they need uh, to spell Kopitar. So I think he's got a great opportunity uh, to win the award. Yeah. Nice pick. Beautiful pick. Uh, I have to admit Thanks, on man. my next pick for lady for lady being, you went with Austin Matthews. Uh, the, the pick is all over the board. Somebody did of course pick Kopitar. Uh, there were some picks in there for Barkoff, uh, Jacob Slavin to mm-hmm. uh, come back a second year in a row. Yeah. And it is interesting because this particular award used to – a guy would win it and then go on a long stretch of multiple years winning it in a row. Right. And that hasn't been the case in recent years. It's been – there's been quite a bit of turnover. I went with Miko Rantanen, and that was a little bit off the board. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking – Sure. I was thinking about Colorado and them maybe not – you know, because McKinnon is not on my ballot and, like, you know, who who on that right. team is going to get an award? And so I was like, okay, well maybe it'll be the Lady Bing, and and that's how I came up with Ranton. And I'll be honest with you, there was not a there was not a very well thought out sort of uh, strategy here on on Miko Ranton. But you feel confident mm-hmm. in Austin Matthews for for Lady Bing? Yeah, because they all these players take get like six, eight, ten minutes of, of penalty time in, in a season. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. uh, he'll be in. The, I think he'll be in the, he'll be nominated again. I think that's what it's going to be. And you know he's the cover of. NHL 22, he's the cover of ESP in the magazine today. So I think there's just his notoriety as well, get him some votes as well. Okay, we'll wrap it up with the Jack Adams trophy. And at the end of the um at the end of the interview there in the second period with Todd McClellan, I did let Todd know. I made sure to tell him at the end because I didn't want to tell him at the beginning and let him think that, or have him think that I was, you know, kissing up to him or anything. I told him at the end of the interview that uh, I nominated him or I, I thought that he would win, excuse me, uh, the Jack Adams Award because I think the Kings are going to go into the playoffs this year and I think that people will take notice of what a nice job that Todd has done behind the bench this season, especially what he had to deal with over the previous two mm-hmm. seasons like we talked about in the first period. So I went with Todd McClellan. He didn't seem too interested in in receiving that award um, given that his <laughs> previous, no. previous nomination uh, came with his dismissal uh, of those clubs, and he'd like to stick around in in, uh, in L.A. for a while. But So I went with Todd McClellan. You went with Joel Quinville, and I'm assuming that your pick for Q is tied back to the fact that you, you're you're big on the Florida Panthers this year. Yeah, I think if they're like a 105-point team, John, I think that's the situation. Although, you know, you like to see John Cooper actually get the award one of these years. He, I think he's the best, go, uh, best coach in the league right now without question. But I think that, yeah, if Florida climbs like I think they do, um, I, I think Joel will win the award. Uh, but you're right, John. If the Kings make the playoffs, Todd's got to be in the conversation. Has to, I mean, Joe, that would be like, remember, if you if you project what they had last year, they had 72 points if they played 82 games. So they have to jump 20 points probably to get into postseason. Mm-hmm. If they can make that kind of jump, then Todd's got to be in the conversation with Jack Adams. So I, I get your point. 
Okay, so there you go. So, DB, we will once again have a lot of fun later, more towards the end of the season. Uh, I, I believe we have to resubmit our picks, and we'll see how many we, we yes. you know, double down on or or how many we abandon right. <laughs> and, and want to move far, far away from because uh, we were delusional For sure. here leading, in, leading into the uh, opening <laughs> night of the season. Dennis, fantastic episode. Thanks again to Coach Todd McClellan for uh, for jumping on. And yep. uh, we have uh, several more podcasts coming up here, Rob Blake and uh, several others, as you mentioned. And uh, it's going to be great, DB. Opening night coming up on Thursday. Drop the puck, the season, get it underway. 82 games and then hopefully some more with the playoffs here in L.A., Dennis. Super excited, Jay. Can't wait for Thursday night to be on for me. We'll be back. We'll talk to you guys later. Enjoy game one of the 20, 21, 22 season. I hear the train going. I know I had it coming I know I can't be free